Uh, we're jumping back into the greatest sermon ever preached, part six, talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus brings, uh, brings us, brings the, the church from the Old Testament into the New Testament at the Sermon on the Mount. So John the Baptist came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. John got put in prison and Jesus continued that message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, which basically means God's about to do something awesome. So get your heart right and you'll get to be part of it. And that was very, very true back then. God was about to reveal the Messiah. Jesus was going to show himself for who he was. And so they needed to get their heart right so they could be part of it, not part of the resistance, but embracing and receiving Jesus. And that uh, reality that God's about to do something awesome is still true for us today. It might be in microcosm. It might be in your family. It might be at your workplace. It could be in the church. God is about to do something good. And if we get our hearts right, we can grab hold of it. We can participate in that. And so Jesus spoke that message, got people anticipating what he was going to do, started doing all kinds of miracles. Uh, You know, you worry about healthcare now. Imagine what healthcare was like 2,000 years ago. You know, it was not good. And so Jesus brought healing, physical healing, miraculous healing, and drew huge crowds of people. And then he sat them down went on a mountainside and spoke. And he taught them all these things, the fulfillment of the law, bringing the law of Moses into the New Testament, the law of the spirit of life. And so uh, last week or last time, two weeks ago, we read Matthew 6, 22 and 23. And uh, this is important for today. So let's get a, a recap of that. And the other Uh, All the other topics that we've covered, uh, if you weren't here, you can go to goodhope.ag and listen to them online, or you can sign up for the podcast. I still don't even know how to do that, but uh, apparently it's very common, you know, so you probably know how to do that. Uh, It works out real good. So I still like have a clipboard and pieces of paper and I write stuff down, you know, I'm I'm a a, a fogey, I believe they refer to that as, but uh, I'm comfortable with who I am. You know, and I'm glad you're who you are. So there you go. Matthew 6, 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. So Jesus is saying how you look at the world, how you see the world, how you interpret things is going to affect what's going on on the inside of you. If your eyes are Uh, are good, your whole body will be full of light. You know, we can look out into this world and we can see different things. Even though we're looking at the same thing, we can view it very, very differently. How we view, how we see, how we interpret what's going on will affect what's going on in our hearts. Verse 23, but if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if we interpret things wrong, if we have a tainted opinion, if we have a cynical opinion, we can have darkness come into us. If your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I don't want to have the light within me be darkness. I want to see things the right way. I don't want to see things with tainted eyes. I want to see things through the lens of the gospel with the eyes of Christ then we can grab hold of the truth of God and truly have his light within us and then we can share that with the world. All right, that's recap. Let's uh, pray. We'll get into new material this morning, starting in Matthew chapter 7. 
So Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this morning and for this time and for each one that's here. Lord, help us to grab hold of your truth. We thank you that you don't just leave us down here to wander around, do the best we can, but you guide us by your spirit and you guide us by your word. Father, help us to see what you've got for us. Each one of us is dealing with different things. We're fighting different parts of the battle and we need a different touch from you. And so, Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would touch each one of us with exactly what we need this morning so that we can believe in you better, serve you better, walk in your ways more effectively and shine your light more brightly. So, Lord, bless our time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Jesus is very much talking about how we see the world. How do we view things? How do we understand things when we see the darkness of this world? So let's go to Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. How many people have heard this before? Most people. How many people feel as though they're very good at putting this into practice? I would say the issue isn't knowing the truth in this particular matter. It's doing the truth, right? I don't think we need more education and understanding we're not supposed to judge. We need more ability to not judge. All right. So verse two, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So what Jesus is saying is if you're going to have a bad opinion about other people, make sure it's your size because you're going to be wearing it. Right? He's saying that however kind, however uh, nice, what's the right word I'm looking for? Man, you got to help me out here. Uh, uh, Kale's not helping me. This is ridiculous. I'm, a, I'm on my own. All right. So how, there's a word, a specific word. I, I'm trying to find it. Sure. What? Sure. Charitable. That's a good word. However charitable you are towards others, that's what's going to return to you. So if we have a a kind heart towards others, if we're trying to help other people out, then that's going to return. If we are uh, being harsh and cynical and we see the negative, then Jesus says the measure you use, it will be measured out to you. So that doesn't sound real great. And he tells a story to try to make the point a little bit more deeply. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Saying, okay, yeah, other people have problems. That's true. Like a speck of sawdust. You ever get a speck of sawdust in your eye? Yeah, that's a hassle. Have you ever had a plank in your eye? You know, like a 12 foot two by 10? You know, or or a log. Some of the translations have a log. You know what I mean? One of those 100 inch logs fell off the back of a truck, landed in your eye. You know what I mean? How's that even possible? You know what I mean? This is obviously Jesus is, is exaggerating in order to emphasize the fact that, yeah, other people's problems are there, but you should see them as a little thing. However, you've got things yourself to deal with, and you should see those things as a big thing. Deal with the big thing. Deal with your issues. Don't worry about their issues at this point. Verse 4. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You ever had a plank person try to take the speck out of your eye? It's kind of irritating. You're like, dude, plank, you know, (laughs) leave me alone. I've had people with a plank in both eyes come in and, but sometimes they're right. You know, just because somebody's a hypocrite doesn't mean they aren't telling the truth. 
So then you just got to accept it as true and swallow it and go on and, and deal with it. So verse five, you hypocrite. So how does Jesus feel about these people? You know, he goes from don't judge to you hypocrite, you know, in the same breath. Does that make sense? Is this a judging you hypocrite? But we'll talk about that a little bit more deeply in a little bit. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So Jesus isn't saying, let's just leave all the problems out there and just hug each other and love each other. And we'll just let ourselves wallow in our dysfunction. What he's saying is you deal with yourself first. You work on your issues first. Your issues are a big deal to you. You work on you. Then when you get to the place where you can actually help other people without doing damage to them, then great, go ahead and help other people. Get the plank out first, then we can be a blessing to others, we can help other people grow. So, Jesus is basically saying, deal with yourself first. What if every Christian on the planet put this into practice instead of jumping to conclusions about other people and blaming people for their faults and putting, uh, uh, pointing out their faults. What if instead we self-evaluated first instead of worrying about other people? What would the church be like? Let me ask you this question. What if every human being on the planet self-evaluated first, looked at their own issues first, And after dealing with all of that, actually getting the plank out, then went and tried to be a help and a blessing to others. What would this world be like? It would be a different world if the human beings on this planet would follow this teaching of Christ. It would be a different world. So, oops. Perhaps we should do this. Amen? Perhaps we should do it. I think that it's possibly the greatest practical failure of Christianity when we point out other people's faults while ignoring our own. It's probably the most practical failure to follow Christ inside Christianity is pointing out other people's faults while ignoring our own. This can happen from group to group. You know, you can have a denomination blaming another denomination for all the things they do wrong. You can have uh, Christianity blaming uh, non-Christian groups for everything while not self-evaluating. You can have it happen individual to individual where one individual is just looking at the faults of another individual while not looking at their own This is a disaster, and it gives Jesus a black eye. When we don't self-evaluate and we just look at other people's issues, it it just gives Jesus a black eye, and it's a problem. Now, of course, people outside the church, outside the faith, do the same thing, right? They don't self-evaluate but blame others. We just got done with the whole political thing. You know, how many people on the one side are like, you know what? I think we really should look at our own issues and not worry about theirs. I mean, does that ever, you know, this isn't something that's a Christian problem. This is a human problem. However, the non-Christian 
hasn't been commanded by their God to self-evaluate first. And then after you've grown and healed and developed to help others. Our God has told us self-evaluate first. Get the plank out of your own eye first. Then reach out and help others. You'll be able to help them without hurting them. So our God has told us that. Their God has not. So we have a responsibility to step up. In uh, Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this in Luke 6, 46. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? If Jesus says, don't judge, what should we do? Don't judge. Jesus says, get the plank out of your own eye so that then you can help someone else get the speck out of their eye. What should we do? Get the plank out. We need to do that. Now, Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Savior means that he is our rescuer. He is the one who saves us. Savior saves. What does Jesus save us from? Well, the wages of sin is death because God is uh, building a kingdom in heaven that is eternal, without sin, completely perfect in every way. And so if sin gets in there, it wrecks it. So anything that causes sin must be eliminated from the kingdom of heaven. And so those who sin cannot go because it's too dangerous, they'll wreck it. And so the wages of sin is death. And so (laughs) that's a problem for you and me. However, Jesus has paid that price. He has paid the death for us so that we could be born again, so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be sanctified or grow into people who can follow the truths of God and then we can be part of the kingdom of heaven without ruining it. And so, hallelujah, he is our savior. He has brought us to the place of forgiveness where we can have everlasting life. Isn't that great? He's our Savior. He's also our Lord. Lord means he's your higher power. He is the authority over your life. When Jesus says jump, you say how high. That's what you do with the Lord. You obey your Lord. And so he's Lord and Savior. And so Jesus says, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? So this doesn't make any sense. And so when we hear Jesus giving us commands, we need to follow them because he's our Lord and also because he's good. Why does God make rules? Because he loves us and he's trying to help us out. He's got a deeper perspective than what we have. We don't understand everything. He does. So he's trying to help us out. So we need to follow what God has said. That's faith. So we're supposed to self-evaluate. We're supposed to deal with our own issues first And then when we are strong, we can help others without doing them damage. The problem is when we point out the faults of others while ignoring our own. So how do we cure this problem of pointing out the faults of others while ignoring our own? How do we walk it out? Because already, I think pretty much the vast majority in this room have read these verses before. We're not supposed to judge, you know, get the plank out of your eye. We already know it. So if we're not putting it into practice, what's the issue? Well, I got, I think, three cures. I started this morning with two. We're going we're gonna to work on three cures for this disease of, uh, of ignoring our own faults while pointing out others. Cure number one. If we're going to make progress with this, 
We need to live our lives with an awareness that we have been forgiven. When I walk through life knowing what Jesus has done for me, and I'm conscious of it, I'm aware of it, day by day I know what God has done for me, then that allows me to see other people in a different light. If I know that I've gone from death to life, and I know I've gone from death to life, I didn't grow up assuming God was real. I grew up with the opposite. I know what it's like to not believe in the afterlife and then find out it's actually true and I can have access to it. I was perfectly content with being worm food after 70 years. I thought that was fine. I was pretty happy about the opportunity to live this life. This isn't all there is. We've been given access to everlasting life in the paradise of God. And when we know that gift has been given to us and we walk in the awareness that we have to be forgiven to be given access to that, but the price was paid by Jesus on the cross because he loved us and he wanted us to be included. And so he shed his own blood so that I wouldn't have to die, but that I could live. When I walk around with an awareness of having been forgiven, it allows me to be able to have some grace for other people. I need to share the grace that God has poured on me with other people. The mercy and the kindness with others. Jesus discusses this in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21 with the parable of the unmerciful servant. Peter asked Jesus a question, Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Have you ever forgive, forgiven somebody three times for the same thing? Three's a lot. Right? I mean, practically speaking, in real life, three is a lot. Two is a lot. How about seven? I think Peter felt pretty comfortable. You know, sort of like, yeah, I'm going above and beyond the call here, man. Seven. Jesus is going to say, good job, Peter. That's pretty good. I'd have probably gone with three. You know, he's probably thinking, I'm set. You know, this is a good answer. What does Jesus have to say? Verse 22. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven, which is 490. But the point is, don't count the number, just keep forgiving. This is like how we would use 101. You know, it's like just a whole bunch. However many it is, it's more than that. How many times you've forgiven? Forgive more. Don't count, just forgive. Verse 23, Jesus tells the story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, a talent was the measure of weight that a man could carry, about 70 pounds. So this man owed 10,000 talents. So if it was 10,000 talents of silver, which was a common uh, weight of, you know, coin, So 10,000 talents of silver would be 700,000 pounds of silver. He owed 10,000 talents. Verse 25. Since he was not able to pay. Yeah, I guess not. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all he had be sold to repay the debt. All right, you're gone. Your wife is gone. Your kids are gone. I don't care who you get sold to. You're out of here. Give me all your stuff. 
The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. And I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. 700,000 pounds of silver. Yeah, you know what? Let's just let that go. Verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. If you earned a denarius a day, it would take you 20 years to earn a talent of silver. So this is one hundred six thousandths of a talent. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. So this is plank and speck. Same thing. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. So, obviously, right? But it's the same thing when we accept the forgiving power of Christ on our lives to take us from hell to heaven. And then we're like, oh yeah, you're a rotten worthless. You know, it's the same thing. When the other servants saw what had happened, it's obvious to everybody. They were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. 700,000 pounds of silver. This is a harsh verse. The next one is harsher. So I'm going to read this one one more time. How you doing? You need a hug? We can, <laughs> we can all hug each other at the end. All right? But we're going to, we're going to read the scriptures. Amen? It's good to get a hug. Yeah. Jesus loves you. Yeah. It's true. But this is also true. In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all of that 700,000 pounds of silver. Verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. He's taking this pretty seriously. This is a very big deal. We need to understand the significance and the importance of forgiveness. The significance and the importance of of dealing with our own stuff rather than blaming and finding fault and pointing out the issues with others. Very, very important. If I walk through my life being conscious of the 10,000 talents that have been forgiven me, I'm not going to choke somebody over a hundred denarii. If I walk with a consciousness that I have been forgiven, brought from condemnation into glory, and somebody does something obnoxious, That's really not that big of a deal. One of the cures for pointing out other people's faults while ignoring our own 
is realizing that we have been forgiven and walking in the consciousness of what God has done for us. Another cure is knowing that looking at yourself is how your life gets better. Self-evaluating, getting the plank out of our own eye is the thing that makes our life better. Now, pointing out other people's faults makes you feel better, but you don't get better. Seeing the difference there? Pointing out other people's faults makes you feel better, but it doesn't make you get better. So we have to look at our own things in order to get better. So uh, let's go to James chapter 1, 22 through 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Is it possible to read the Bible and then be self-deceived? James is warning against this. Don't just read it. Don't just hear it. Hear about the blessings of God and the forgiveness of God and the power of God and the love of God. But then you don't do the things of God. And so you don't get to receive the blessings of God and you're self-deceived. What a disaster that would be. I don't want to be self-deceived. Amen? That's a bad place to be. There's something in verse 25 that I want instead. So we need to do what it says. Verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. How many people looked in the mirror this morning? Why did you look in the mirror this morning? Because you wanted to self-evaluate and make some corrections, right? How's the hair doing today? You know, what's going on? Is my shirt buttoned right? Whatever. We're looking at ourselves and then we're trying to fix it so that we can come and be presentable before people. Why do we read the word of God? So that we can see and self-evaluate and fix things about ourselves. But if we read the word of God and we just ignore what it says, when it says, do not judge, when it says, take the plank out of your own eye, and we're just like, yeah, that's real neat. Um, uh, I'm just going to ignore it. Then it's like looking in the mirror and just leaving yourself a mess and coming to church anyway. You know, comb your hair. Verse 25. But the man, it's easy for me. Yeah, that's easy for you to say. (laughs) They wanted to do those Jamaican braid things on my eyebrows. It was like, that's as good as we're going to get. But I'll let that go. All right. Focus, man. Focus. Here we go. James 1.25. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Now, which would you prefer, self-deceived or blessed in what you do? I'm going with blessed in what I do. That's way better. So let's see what this thing has to say and let's put it into practice and we'll get to experience the blessings of God. So, cure number two. Understand that looking at yourself, self-evaluation is how your life gets better. Blaming others makes you feel better, but it doesn't help you get better. We need to self-evaluate 
let the word of God, the spirit of God show us issues with ourselves and then we can fix it. All right. Can this idea of do not judge be taken too far? Depends on how you understand it. So I would say yes. Now, I'm not saying that you get to yield to an ugly spirit towards other people. Right? You get, don't get to be like, well, yeah, I get to hold a certain number of grudges, you know. All things in moderation, you know. I'm, I'm going to have some grudges. You know, not that. But you don't have to play the fool either. I had a friend who uh, had employees years ago. He was a strong believer and he's just trying to do the right thing. And he had some employees that weren't doing their job. And he was so torn. He's like, well, I shouldn't judge. I should forgive. You know, I, I, should, just, I should just be uh, doing that with my employees. And I'm like, no, dude, you should fire them. You know, you can forgive them and fire them at the same time. You know, you, 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 know, you can love them and have there be repercussions. You know, we're not supposed to just get walked on. If you're an employer, you can follow Christ and fire people. It's fine. It's not a sin. It's not unforgiveness. It's just the proper ramifications for the behavior. That's okay. And I don't think it's an accident that Matthew 7, 6 follows Matthew 7, 5. Matthew 7, 5 is to get the plank out of your eye. And then you can see clearly. Matthew 7, 6 says this. Matthew 7, 6, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you, do not judge. But make sure you understand who the pigs and who the dogs are. Don't judge, but categorize the pigs. Categorize the dogs. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Later in, the, in chapter 7, Jesus talks about false prophets. Watch out for false prophets. So he's saying, label people false prophets, label people dogs, label people pigs, but don't judge. <laughs> What's the pastor going to do now? <laughs> All right, so how do we work this out? How do we figure this out? What's Jesus actually trying to say? Because a lot of people think do not judge means just get run over. But don't cast your pearls to pigs is don't get run over. Be smart enough to not get run over. This world's hard enough, let alone you just be a victim. How are we supposed to understand this? Here's here's the best I can do. What we're called to do is to bring light into a dark world. In order to bring light into a dark world... We have to have love and compassion for this dark world. Do not judge. Do not be obsessed with the speck in their eye. However, if we're going to bring light into this dark world, we can't just get run over by the darkness either. We've got to be able to protect ourselves from the darkness. And so we need to be wise and understanding. We need to know the score. These people are dangerous. This is, this is messed up. I'm not going to trust this person. However, I'm still loving and compassionate towards this broken world. So we need to know the score, understand what's going on, so that we can protect ourselves from the darkness, while at the same time not letting our heart get tainted so that we become part of the darkness and we start getting ugly towards other people. We are called to bring light 
into a dark world. In order to do that, we need to not judge. We need to get the plank out of our own eye. And we need to protect ourselves from the darkness so that we don't get run over. Does that make sense? Amen. Page two. Jesus talked about in Matthew 6, the eye is the lamp of the body. How do we see this dark world? How do we understand it? Um, When we see darkness, when we see evil, when we see all the ugliness of this world, too often Matthew 24, 12 happens to us. Matthew 24, 12, Jesus is talking about end times and he says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Have you been full of joy and enthusiasm and faith and expectation and then just had the ugliness of this world hit you and change your heart? Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. We're not supposed to have our love grow cold, so what do we do? Do we lash out in violent anger at the darkness? No, that just brings more darkness. Do we live in a dream world and just pretend everything's great because we're not judging? No, that's a disaster. We need to get our hearts aligned with Christ so that we can walk into the mess secure in the power of God so that we can bring some light into the darkness. If I know I'm loved and forgiven by God, I have everlasting life in Christ, and I look at my own issues so I don't become part of the problem, and I'm working on myself, and then I see a need, I can step into that mess without being disgusted by it, without being angry about it, without having all this stuff come up in my own heart. I can have compassion and love, and I can step into the mess protected by the wisdom of God and bring something good into the situation. That's what we're called to do. I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. We're going to uh, close here in just a minute. We're going to look at Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Verse 21 is my, one of my very favorite verses, and we're going to focus on that here at the end. But this is all about how we see the world. When we read these verses, think, if my eyes are good, my whole body will be full of light. If I can see the world through this lens, what would my life be like? And so this is largely about how we see the world. So let's read Romans 12, 9 through 21, and then we'll close. Love must be sincere. Do you think you have to fake love? You can have sincere love. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. In uh, one of the unfortunate things about modern Christianity is, you know, we we all want to have a personal relationship with Jesus, which is good. You want to have a personal relationship, but it's not an individualistic thing. We are called into a body to love one another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. We're part of a group. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. 
It's always a challenge. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. If somebody's having a victory, don't be jealous of what they've got. Rejoice with them. If someone's going through a difficult time, don't try to fix it. Don't blame them for what they did wrong. Just mourn with them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. This might be cure number three of focusing on other people's faults while ignoring my own. The reality is every knee will bow. So don't think they're going to get away with it. You don't have to be the one that makes sure everybody knows. You don't have to be the one that proves to everyone that they've got a problem. Their knee will bow before the living God and they will give an account. Be aware of that. Understand that. And it makes it easier to let some things go. Verse 20. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. I've explained that one before. What it means is you'll change their heart and show them that they're wrong. You'll bring them to repentance. And then verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When Jesus is talking about don't judge, it's don't be overcome by evil. Don't fixate on the evil of this world and let it fill your thoughts and your heart. The plank-filled eye fails to overcome evil with good. The unmerciful servant fails to overcome evil with good. The one who casts their pearls before pigs fails to overcome evil with good. We are to overcome evil with good. We need to see things the right way. We need to self-evaluate, get better ourselves, then we can make that difference. So let's pray together as a group and let's ask the Lord to show us what we need to change. The problem with the planks in our eye is that we're blind to them. Other people can see them, but we can't see them. And so we need to know. And so we need to ask the Lord to show us what we need to change. And then we need to be willing and obedient to do what he shows us to do so that we can go out and serve the Lord in this world, overcoming evil with good. After we pray, I'll invite people up for individual prayer with the prayer teams. doesn't matter what the need is. You want to start a relationship with Jesus? Come get prayer. You need physical healing. You need a relationship restored. You need a financial miracle. You need a blessing from God in some way. You need a wisdom. Come get prayer. Well, let's pray together first and ask God to show us things about ourselves. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to self-evaluate, to be able to look in the mirror and see ourselves, understand who we are, and be at peace with who we are. Thank you, Lord, that you see every piece of us, every part, the good and the bad, and you love us anyway. Thank you, Lord, for that. 
Help us, Lord, to see ourselves in the mirror of your truth. And Lord, to get better. Show us what we need to change. Help us to be conscious of your forgiveness for us so that when we look at ourselves, we're not ashamed, but we are fully forgiven, redeemed, and loved by you, but able to grow in our understanding and our behavior and our character. And Lord, help us to grab hold of who you are so that we can walk in your ways and make a difference in this world. Help us to be full of light so that we can overcome the darkness with your light. And Father, I pray a blessing over each person in this place. I pray your peace and your joy and your love would be upon us. Lord, that we could walk in your truth, grab a hold of your ways, and share your love with this world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.